have. Amen. So what, what I want to do today is we are fast approaching the end of this, uh, this overview of First Timothy. Um, we've been taking some time for a while doing this, um, and I wanted to, to make sure that we did it properly. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to get through an entire chapter today. So pray for me while we're preaching, huh? There's a lot of good content in here that, <coughs> excuse me, that I would love to be able to, to comb through a little bit longer. But um, I also want to be able to get to another series that we're going to do for the, m- the month of December. Uh, there's a book by St. Athanasius. He was a, uh, uh, a church father, early church father. Wrote a book, um, or really a long letter, a series called On the Incarnation. And it's the importance of Christ's birth. What that meant for us and what that means for us and how we can... Uh, how we can celebrate even greater the gift of Christ being born to us. It's easy to to celebrate seasons and holidays because it's tradition, and we've been around, and and here in America we do so uh, with Thanksgiving, and then we move on to Christmas, and it's easy to go, you know, year after year and do the same stuff, but it's it's a wonderful thing to, to look a little bit more intently at why we celebrate and what the purpose is of celebrating Christ's birth and why that's a big deal for us as Christians. Um, this is not just another happy holidays portion where we get to just exchange gifts. You know, we need to be able to have a good, uh, good knowledge base of why we should be excited about Christ being born, uh, why he was born of a virgin, why he, uh, why he had to be uh, born, especially how it, how it was impactful at the time that he was born and, and kind of how that fit in history very well for us. And so would love to go. We're going to go through that in the month of December. Uh, so I hope you guys are excited about it. If you really want to get a head start, jump into that book uh, on the incarnation by saint athanasius the my favorite one is uh it was um, translated by uh john bear and has a foreword by c.s lewis that's my favorite version of it because of course it wasn't written in english it was written in latin so uh so you can go through and you can read read that if you really want to get a head start on it um if not then if you enjoy the sermon series then you can go back and you can buy it yourself uh, because i think it will bless you to go through and read it i read it almost every year if i can um, or at least get through it after the Christmas season. I'll read through it uh, again also. I, I used that for my systematic theology course, um, uh, the second one that I took when I was in seminary, and I've loved it ever since I read it the for the first time. I, I thought it was very impactful, and so I always go back to it and read just as a great reminder for why we celebrate the season. Okay, so enough about what we're going to do in the future. Let's talk about what we're doing right now. Huh? Um, so we've been talking through this book of First Timothy. First Timothy was written to, you guessed it, Timothy. <laughs> uh, Paul wrote this book uh, to um, a spiritual son of his. We also went through the book of, of Titus. He was another spiritual son of Paul's. And, uh, and just for a quick overview again, you guys should be very knowledgeable about this point <laughs> because we've done it every single week that we've been in this series. But this was written to Timothy as he sent Timothy to Ephesus, a very well-established church. You remember the book of Ephesians. That was written to Ephesus. And so instead of writing this letter to the church, he wrote this one specifically to Timothy, who was supposed to lead the charge for this church. There was a lot of heresy being spoken in that time, and so what Paul wanted was he wanted someone who he could trust to go into the church and start correcting things that were going awry. There was some some inadequate um, myths being talked about, about who Christ was, about the intentionality of his birth, about his uh, his being here, his death, his resurrection, there was a lot of, uh, of people treating it more as like a fashion show. There were some ladies who were standing up in some really, really expensive garb, just showing off more of their money 
rather than it was actually teaching and instructing people. And then they were even coming up underneath the improper instruction uh, from the two, especially the two individuals. Paul names these two individuals at the end of chapter one because he was very specific about, I know who you are <laughs> and I know what you are teaching. And so these, these ladies were being influenced by these two individuals who were teaching heresy and it caused them to also lead other people astray as well. And so what their teachings were actually doing is it was dividing the church instead of uniting the church. Any teaching that divides the church is, I believe, is rooted in more demonic activity than it is, uh, than it is true Holy Spirit teaching. And so we want to be able to have good teaching that unites the body, that encourages us, um, that builds us up, that gives us a sense of, uh, of direction. Uh, it shows us who we are in Christ. And then, of course, brings us together in the midst of all of that. We need to be unified as a body of Christ and not divided. And so these teachings were actually dividing individuals more than they were uniting. And so they went through, Paul goes through a lot of specific things on, on the, the nature of worship, how they were supposed to worship with one another. He doesn't necessarily give a liturgy. Uh, a liturgy, if you're unfamiliar with that term, is like kind of like we have a liturgy here at this service. It's not as, as specified as some places, but we come here, we sing some songs, um, we collect the offering, we deliver a message, we possibly do prayer afterwards, and then we dismiss. That is our list of how we come together and we worship with one another. So a liturgy is just how you break down the gathering of the body of Christ. There's other churches where they have specific readings they go through and lots of different things that they do in, in their gathering um, and very, very detailed specifics. Um, ours is a little more loose, but it's still there. Everybody has a liturgy, regardless of what denomination you're into. It, uh, it just ends up being that this one's a little bit more flexible in how we, uh, how we do things at this church. But um, so in, in the midst of all these things, Paul doesn't necessarily give a liturgy, but he tells us how they're supposed to be conducting themselves while they gather. And I think that's very important. Part of it was that they're not supposed to put down religious leaders, but they're supposed to pray for them. Very important. We're not supposed to put people down. This is not a place where we get to stand up and just bash people's names. That is not in the character or the nature of Christ. Really, we should be praying that they meet with Christ and that they are, they are really convicted of the things that they're going through. And there is no perfect person here on earth, so that means that regardless of what side of the aisle that you find yourself laying on, um, there are people in both parties that are all living inadequate lives. And so we want them all to know Christ and to, and to be able to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and follow after Jesus. There are plenty of pastors Plenty of us that are not perfect. I'll tell you right now, as your pastor, I am imperfect. But I strive to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then when I can't hear it, I hope my wife will hear the Holy Spirit for me and let me know. Uh, because that is a, a wonderful pro uh, aspect of, of having marital union. And so, um, so no person is perfect. And that's why we don't worship people who stand at pulpits, who stand on stages, who are standing for political parties. We don't worship those people. We worship Jesus. Christ is my firm foundation, right? Yeah. And so, and so we're supposed to pray for one another, lift up one another, and encourage one another. And when we disagree with that person, then that gives us great ground to pray fervently that our eyes will be open if we're in error, and then their eyes will be open if they're in error. And then ultimately that we see revival happen in this nation and in this world. Amen. So he goes through that, that process, and then he even addresses different, different things within the body as far as their behaviors, correcting some behaviors that he knows that are, that are happening uh, in the midst of their gathering, in the midst of their community. There were some people living really crazy lifestyles, and he was wanting to bring correction to that. 
And so we see all this stuff happen in 1 Timothy. This is jam-packed with a lot of great instruction and a lot of great great wisdom from Paul to Timothy in dealing with a lot of the things that were happening within their community. And now when we get here to 1 Timothy chapter 5, um, we start to see some more things unfold. Paul continues down a specific vein. You remember at the very tail end of 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul mentions to Timothy not to, d- not to be despised by his youth, not to let people look down upon him because of his youth. That it's very important that he's actually supposed to walk with authority and walk with, um, with the freedom of being able to move in what God has called him into. And this is very important, and the reason why I bring this up is because here in chapter 5, this plays a huge part in what's getting ready to unfold. And so are you guys ready this morning? Okay, so here we go. Chapter 5, verse 1, it starts like this. It says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now remember, he's writing specifically to Timothy. Um, The nature of this passage could seem like he is just saying, Hey, you just need to treat old men with respect, just like your dad. Treat, uh, treat young men just like they're your brothers. Treat older women like they're your mom. And young women like they're your sisters. Live in purity. That just say, seems like a nice blanket statement, right? Treat others with kindness. That's great. And yes, he does mean that. But remember, this book was written specifically to combat heresy. So there's a very specific tone that Paul is using. And, and some commentators believe he's setting Paul, uh, Timothy up for what he's getting ready to go into through the rest of this chapter. Remember, they're combating heresy. The people who were teaching heresy were older than Timothy. And so he mentions at the end of chapter 4, don't let people look down upon you because you're young. Especially these people who were in leadership. Don't let them look down on you because you were young because you are going to have to correct these people for their improper and misuse of the word. And so he was like, when you speak with them, as you're correcting them, you're going to have to speak to them and let them know that they're in error, but treat them as your father. Still treat them with respect. You're wanting them to come to repentance, not to be shamed. Does that make sense? We, so whenever we're even going and dealing with certain things with individuals, we don't want to shame people into correction. We want to love them into correction and into right living. So same thing he's talking about with, uh, with younger men. Treat them as your brothers. This is going to be something to where it's, um, it's, it's very important for Timothy. He is not the ultimate authority. The scripture is the authority, but Paul is also sending him. Some of these people are not as familiar with Timothy. They know him. They know of him because he's traveled with Paul. But Paul is the one that they really hold in high esteem and high regard. And so as a messenger sent from Paul, he's going to be treated a lot like a brother to the midst of them, but not to despise his authority in that place either. Same thing with the older women. Again, a lot of these women that he's specifically talking about who needed to be quieted in the church and who needed to dress correctly, this is not a rebuke to all women. This is a rebuke to these specific women who were were inappropriately dressing, drawing attention to themselves, and then teaching heresy. So he's saying you need to treat them as your mother with kindness, with gentleness, respect, but you need to bring them to correction as well. Even though you're young, bring them to correction. And then the young women, he's specifically speaking to Timothy, and we're going to get into to the reason why this is going to be important in this next portion. But he was telling him that he's also just like the same thing as the brothers. He's going to be treated like a brother to these, to these females. But also he attaches, but do it in purity as well. Because of some of the things that were happening in the community, he wanted him to be aware of having a pure mind in the midst of this. 
And this is why. Verse 3, he says, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read a, a, a bigger section of this, so, so bear with me here. So no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ— they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but they also become busybodies who talk nonsense. Everybody say nonsense. Saying things that they ought not to. So I counsel young widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has uh, widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well, uh, well are worthy of double honor, especially those... I'll get to that in a second. Let's, let's stick here with the, with the widows um, in this section. So this is important. This is one of the reasons why Paul was mentioning very specifically about the purity and the nature of purity when it comes to the young women. Part of the issue that was happening in this church as well was that they had people who were, they had ladies who were widows who were being neglected. They had served well. They had no family left over. They didn't have anybody else who can help and care for them, and they were kind of being pushed to the side and, and not assisted in the way that they should have been. There were some widows who had family members, but the family members were completely dismissing them and were not taking care of them because they were trying to do their own thing. And then you had young widows who were, were, were plenty young enough to be able to continue to, to go and get married, have a family, go through that whole process. Um, they were taking resources, and some commentators even believe that because they mentioned their, their sexual desires, they were going around and sleeping with other people taking the resources as a widow, but involving themselves with all kinds of sexual pleasures, and then continuing to go idle from house to house to house to house, also slandering individuals and different people's names and gossip. And so they were like, Paul says, instead of these people thinking that they need to um, just have the markings of a widow, and they can't marry anymore, they can't do any of this stuff, because the church, a lot of people in this time, in this church, were teaching some of the false teachings were that you cannot marry again. You cannot get married at all. And that actually getting married is not proper. It's not good. It's part of the heretical process that they were going through is that they were saying that it is not biblical or Christ-like to get married at all. You shouldn't do it. 
And so these women were like, well, shoot, I'm, I'm used to having a, someone to be with. I'm, I have these desires, and I'm just going to go and act on them. So I'm not going to get married, but I'm going to do some married stuff. And then we're all going to talk about other people and, and, and back talk all the things that we don't agree with. And then it became a gossip, sensual fest of all kinds of different activities. And so you had men and women sinning in the, in the nature of the community when they should not. He was like, look, if, if you're a widow, you have time, you still want to get married, go get married. Have kids. Have, take care of your household. Do those things. That's good. For those of you family members who you have a widow in your house and, or in, in the midst of your family, take care of your family. Like stop putting these people to the side and, 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 and dismissing them because you want to do other things. It's, it's your responsibility as a family to take care of your own. And then he says, now for the church, now we can take care of those who are truly in need and we're not having to sift through the fluff of all this other stuff that the body should actually be doing with one another. We cannot rely on an institution to take care of people who we should be taking care of. And so it's Christ-like to actually tend for one another, to care for one another. It was actually also part of Old Testament literature of the, of, of the Torah to take care of those who are in need, who are older than you. You take them into your house, you involve them in your community, you do the things that you need to. And so he's correcting a lot of this misunderstanding that some of these false teachers are teaching. And so again, Paul reminds Timothy, he's like, look, you need to also deal with these young women in a, in a sensible way because it, is, it will be easier for you to walk into this, um, this, this culture that they've set right now and to get involved with all kinds of nefarious activity. And so it's a good reminder for us to say, okay, we're, when we go and we're helping individuals, we need to also be on guard and stand firm in what we believe and don't let sin, which is crouching at our door, knock and open the door and, uh, and make it available for us. We need to be on guard and be, be careful. We go and we extend our hand and we help one another and we, we do this stuff. But it's very easy if we're not dealing with what we need to internally that we can open ourselves up for things that are not helpful or beneficial to us. How many guys in here can say, I have done that before as well? Yes, amen, me too. It, it's very easy whenever you're like, oh, I just want to help people. But you yourself are very unwell, and you actually are leaning more towards the things that they're involved with as well. And then it makes it very difficult for you to even help them. You end up being pulled down into the same stuff that they're being pulled into. That's why we need to have a firm foundation in our relationship with Christ. That's why we need to be able to have this. It's helpful, and that's why it's, it's helpful to... To, to, co to coordinate with one another, to talk with one another when we're, when we're dealing with people who are in need because we're not supposed to forsake people who are in need. Th it's our responsibility to help people, to bring them in and to show them they have value and that they have need. But we also cannot jump into something without any kind of plan or any kind of guidance from the Holy Spirit and even wise counsel from others that can help, help us make sure that we have all of our ducks in a row as well in the process. And so he's very specific. He even said in verse 9 that, that these widows um, shouldn't be put on the list of widows until she's over 60. Has been faithful. He even says has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. That's a wonderful testimony to have, that, that you serve faithfully in your home, in your community, in the body. It's a wonderful testimony to have. And so something that he's saying is that typically women who would be over 60, they would not have much family that would be left over who would be either older than them. And maybe if they had any children, um, they could even be in the process of either being there or being passed away. And so something that was very important 
um, because they, they got married. The, the women were typically a lot younger than the men and in those times. And so there was a quite a bit of an age difference. So that by the time a woman was 60, her husband was probably well passed away by that time. And so this is a great opportunity where he's presenting the church now can step in and help these, these ladies because they may not have a good support system of their own in their family. And so this was important to him. And he said again, for those of you guys who are not married and you desire to get married, go get married. Do that. That's good. It's biblical. It's wonderful. It's part of the process that, that God said was good in the very beginning in Genesis. You know, be fruitful, multiply. That was, that was, that was a mandate that he gave. So if that is your desire and you, you desire for that, do it. So he's not only helping Timothy bring, bring some helpful um, direction for those who are in need, but he's also helping correct the in inappropriate doctrine that was being taught again about not getting married, not being with one another, and negating the process of, of childbearing. So now, let's move on to verse, verse 17 here. So the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So let's, let's stop there for a second. So this is, this is really important. We talked both in Titus and Timothy. He gives very specific directions about people who are supposed to be elders and deacons. Do you guys remember those, those portions of those scriptures? Really important. He wanted to make sure that Timothy had a well-established leadership group. That that was put in place so that he was not the only one able to help establish things in the church, teach, instruct, and make sure that people were being um, helped with as much as they could. One of the specifications of an elder that's different than the deacons, because they're very similar in what they've been charged to, is the deacons were not charged with preaching, but elders were charged with preaching. And so he's looking at these, at these leaders who are teaching inappropriately, because remember, at the very top of this, Paul is combating heresy in the church. He's combating inappropriate doctrine. I cannot stress that enough, that as we read scripture, we need to know the context of why the, this person is writing this letter. If not, then we can take scripture out of context and apply this to other people's lives and force this false belief on somebody. And it ends up harming them more than it does help them because it puts them under bondage of religiosity. And so remember, this, this book was written to combat heresy. It was written to combat inappropriate thinking and inappropriate thought as far as how we're supposed to live within the body of, of believers. And so he's speaking about these elders. He's like, okay, these guys that you're going to correct um, make sure that, that you have the opportunity whenever someone does have something happen. It's not just one person that comes to you. There needs to be an, an example. There needs to be a few people that can come and could, could recognize what's happening with this individual to where it's not just hearsay because then you have people who can make up anything because they want that person to be dethroned from their position. They want them to be ripped down from their position of authority. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to make sure that whenever they are experiencing 
some difficulties because everybody knows that nobody's perfect. I mentioned that earlier today. You can read all over the place that there are people who fall from grace. There are people who have, um, have their own struggles that they deal with and they have to be corrected in different areas. And so what he wants to do is he doesn't want to just have anybody who can bring up an accusation. He wants validity to it. And so he's like, we need to have a valid reason for having to correct this person. And if this person is, is in a public enough place and position where there would need to be an explanation, then this is where you can also provide some correction. So you would correct behind closed doors and you would give explanation to those who are within the community so they know how to, A, pray for that person. Because remember, in the, in the list of things for praying for those who are in leadership and authority, governmental and also within the body of governance, we can pray for that person to receive the healing and the, um, uh, uh, the restoration that they need so they can live holy, acceptable, and pleasing unto God. That's first and foremost what we need to be doing. People may be disappointed in someone who's fallen, and there, I mean, you can go through, uh, there was a whole litany of this stuff that happened on, uh, on, on public television when it came to, like, the, evan evan oh my gosh, the evangelical, evangelistic aspect of, uh, of Christian television. Anybody remember that in the, the late 80s, early 90s? Whole list of stuff that... <laughs> This person falls, this person falls, this person falls, this person falls. I did a whole paper on, uh, on that history of, of a lot of that stuff that happened. And so, so this is not something that we're unaware of that happens from different leaders. But it's a process that people start to gossip and slander their names instead of pray for them and, uh, and hope that the Lord can restore them in a way to where they can receive the healing and that they can take pride away from their own mind and they can submit themselves again to God. That's what we need to be hoping for and praying for. When we see someone who's in leadership fall, we need to look at them not as uh, an enemy, but as someone who needs healing. And so we do this across the board. Leadership in the church, leadership in government, leadership in school systems, leadership at your job, at your workplace. If you are, if you are frustrated with somebody, there's probably something that's going on inside their life that's causing chaos. And that chaos is manifesting itself in whatever kind of behavior that they're participating in. And so we need to have grace for people in the midst of that. But we also need to be able to stand firm on the foundation that we have, which is in Christ. It is not my standard that I'm wanting them to live by. It is the standard that is biblical and righteousness. That's the standard that I want. I'm trying to live up to that standard, and that's hard, <laughs> right? Each one of us, we could, we could all testify of different things. It's like, man, I'm, this is what I'm working on right now. This is what I'm dealing with in my own thought processes. You know, you can, when we sit down at these tables, I encourage you, talk to people, ask them questions. Not just surface level questions, but actually, how are you for real? You know, have these conversations, it's important. And so he's talking about, okay, when you're actually dealing with these accusations against elders, make sure it's brought by two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, you can reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. So this is, in, this is also important. So that we could take warning. When somebody falls, this is it, a lot of times it's jarring. It, it'll jolt you. It'll surprise you. Oh my gosh, that person? It's a wonderful warning when you can see that if when, not that you hope that someone falls, but that when you do experience someone who's dealing with sin in their life, you can look and go, oh my gosh, if they can, then I know I'm s for sure also susceptible to, to experiencing sin in my life. So it's a, a reminder that we need to consistently seek after the face of God. That's where we need to, to head down. And then he charges him not to, not to keep these instructions with partiality. Cannot do things out of favoritism. 
Just because someone is gifted and talented doesn't mean that we make room for their sin. I've seen this in athletics time and time and time and time again. I coached sports for about five years at the junior high and high school levels. And, uh, and you can see how there's some people, um, whether if it's a teacher, could be a coach, could be an athletic director, could be, I mean, you name it, could be parents. They will make room for someone who is extremely talented because they want them to perform for them so that they can have a bragging right about something. Not because they want that student or that person to do well. They make room for their sin. And they allow them to even continue on with that and just cover it up because they want them to continue performing and it looks good for them. That's pride on two levels. Pride on that person's level to look after their own desires rather than that person's growth and development. Also pride on that other person's side because they are continuing in that process and they've, made, they've been made allowed to do that, which then elevates themselves up to a position that is higher than other people in their mind to where they become God. Or I should say they become a God, maybe in their own mind. Maybe they still believe in God. and I mean, that's, that's amazing that they believe in God, but their belief and their trust is more found in their own abilities and capabilities rather than it is in what Christ is doing inside of them and how he can develop them. We cannot make excuses for sin. We need to deal with sin even if it becomes uncomfortable for us. Just because someone has a good ability to do something does not mean that we make room for their sin. Now, in that process, this is also where it's important that as a body of believers, we can confront one another, not in opposition, but in conviction. We don't want, want, want bad conflict, we want conviction to be brought. So that when conviction is made known, then we know that there is some sanctification that needs to occur. It's difficult for some people to see when there's an opportunity for learning to, for growth. Sometimes we do not do a great job of dealing with that opportunity in an uplifting way. Sometimes we end up communicating with these individuals in a way that brings shame and guilt instead of restoration and right living. We desire to have a good structure, to have good rules, to have good things that happen. I mean, you can see this in kids. Kids respect you more when you actually have rules set in place, not when you give them everything that they want. But at the same time, if you continue to abuse a child, if you abuse a child, then you will start to see that there is a disconnect and there will be a rebellion that occurs within that child. If not right then, then later on. So abuse will cause them maybe to obey in that moment, but it will not continue for a good relationship and for right correction later on. But when we build up people, when we encourage them, that will cause them to see that there's value in the structure. There's actually a standard that's set and that you actually desire for them to do better and to be better. And that we don't hold that thing over their head after they start to see some healing and some restoration in their body. When we hold their past over them, then we're saying that they are not healed and they have no, um, they have no option of restoration completely. They will always be known for that one thing. Paul was known as the Apostle Paul, right? We don't know him as murderer Saul. It's not how we communicate his name. He, he was horrible. 
He was a huge religious bigot. I mean, he, this dude was killing people, sending them to prison, whipping these people, ripping them out of their homes, ripping them out of their communities, and sending them into prison where they were going to rot and go through all kinds of different stuff. And we don't, we don't call this guy murderous Paul or Saul. Come, Apostle Paul, hold him in high regard. Wrote, wrote a bunch of the New Testament. We need to be able to see people for what Christ has created them to be, for who he's created them to be, and for, for I love this phrase, his calling the gold out of people. You can see that the stone, that, the, that, the, the, that all the stuff is there, but it's dirty, it's nasty, there's all kinds of, but I can see that there's value there. And so we're calling them to become what we see the value in. But that doesn't mean that we beat them up in the midst of that process. And then remind them consistently, oh, you're full of dirt. You're just dirty, dirt, 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 dirty, dirt, person, dirt, full of it, just nasty, mud, blech, nasty, stupid, dirt. It's not how you refer to people. You call the gold out of them and you help them in that process. You'll even find that there, there are quite a few people that will supersede you from where the position that you were able to go to. We have to be very comfortable with that. Some people were gifted with talents that are way past each of our abilities to do. Praise the Lord. We cannot be threatened by somebody's ability because we think that they're going to take our, our place or our position. Your place in the community is as a brother and as a sister, as a mother, as a father. It's a family. You should celebrate when a family member gets a promotion. You should celebrate when a family member graduates. You should celebrate when a family member gets a raise. You should celebrate when a family member has a child. You should celebrate. There's each of these processes. You should be excited. And so why, when it comes to the body of Christ, do we at times struggle so much because we feel threatened in a position? Your position is found in Christ as a son, as a daughter, as a brother, as a sister, and as mothers and as fathers. We should celebrate when people do well and can help the body progress further into loving Jesus. And when someone's struggling, we can call them to a place of repentance, not a place of condemnation, because we're, we're finally satisfied that this gifted individual fell and good, now I'm above them again. Right, they're back in the dirt, dirty, dirt, 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 dirt. We can't, we can't be that way. We can't be that way. I know my, in my own life, I've, I've had my fair share of, of mess-ups and, and stupid decisions and things that I know that I shouldn't have done, and I've been encouraged and uplifted to, to do better, to seek righteousness. Didn't always get it on the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time. Tenth time, fourteenth time, or whatever you want to call it, whatever, it's fine. But it's the consistent progress of, of love it's the consistency of the family bringing you in and putting you on the right direction and calling you higher than what you even think that you can do yourself is what's very valuable and important for us. And then he ends with this in the last couple verses. He says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. 
the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Do not place people in, in positions of leadership if they are not in the position of, of living in the way that would meet the standards that has been set for elders and deacons. Just because someone's been around, maybe, maybe they even completed certain classes, that's great, but it doesn't mean that you qualify completely for a position. There are plenty of people who go to school for stuff, but they don't know a hill of beans about being able to do anything that is in that job field. They have a paper that tells them that they're knowledgeable, but that doesn't mean anything. Nothing. I have met, uh, working in education, I, I've helped with the process of putting people through different degree programs and making sure they were on track for going different places, and now I'm in a, in a position where we help students kind of figure out what they want to do and things like that. Great. But let me tell you, I've seen a handful of people who they said that they wanted to be uh, teachers in a school system. Awesome. So, so awesome. It's amazing. They went through all their schooling, did all their tests, all that stuff. They got to student teaching and crumpled. Crump they were like, this is not for me. This is not my direction. I don't need to do this. Like even changing their major before they grad, they only had like three months left of their, their education. They could graduate with a bachelor's. They're like, nope, 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 nope. Going back to school, doing something different, changing my whole major, going to school for another two and a half years. That's what I got to do. I, I can't do this. Just because they went through the process of having all of the education they needed, they just needed to finish the last portion of getting that degree, they figured out that this was not what they were meant to do. So just because you take some classes, just because you've read some things a few times, does not mean that you have this, the, the capabilities to do that because that's not what you're called to do. And that's okay. We don't need to make the pinnacle of reaching in your Christianity standing up here and talking. This doesn't mean that I have arrived by any means. There are plenty of people who stand up at pulpits, and I highly disagree with everything they say when they stand up there. So that doesn't mean that you have arrived in a certain position. Your position needs to be found in Christ. Right. It needs to be found sitting at your father's feet. It needs to be found submitting yourself time and time again. It needs to be found in obedience. You can sacrifice all the time that you want, go through all the schooling that you want. You can sacrifice all the money that you want. You can give millions and millions and millions to good causes and all these things, but that still does not mean that you have a good relationship with Jesus. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I'll end with this example just because I mentioned that, that scripture. In the Old Testament, you have the story of Saul and David. You guys remember these, these figures, these guys? So Saul, the, the straw that broke the camel's back whenever he was king, was that he was, he was stationed, he was waiting on the instructions for what they should do. He had a whole, whole army with him. And typically what they would do is they would wait for the prophet to come. They would offer sacrifice to the Lord, be given direction, and then proceed forward with what they need to be doing. Saul was going to antsy because Samuel, the prophet Samuel, was taking a little bit more time than what he had anticipated him taking. So Saul, being the people pleaser, the, the, the man who needed to look good in front of all these other people, he was really struggling because he started hearing some voices chirp around. 
Oh, maybe Saul's Saul's not it. Oh, maybe this isn't good for Saul. Ah, does Saul even know what he's doing? Ah, is he is the Lord even on his side? All these things, and he was worried about his his ability to look good in front of his army of people that he was in charge of as a king. And so instead of waiting for Samuel, he went ahead and sacrificed to the Lord. And you're like, oh, that's good. I mean, he made an altar. He sacrificed. That's amazing. That's good. The only issue is that he did that to please man. He did not do that to please God. So that when Samuel came up, he was furious. Because Saul did not wait for Samuel to go and to offer sacrifice and to offer wise counsel. That's when Samuel told Saul, it is obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience to the Lord is greater than any kind of sacrifice. Insert whatever you want to that you would be sacrificing over. Obedience is much greater than that sacrifice that you would make. Relationship to the Lord and hearing his voice and obeying. That's the epitome of faith, is that faith is being able to hear the voice of the Lord and continue to obey in the direction that he has called you to obey. And when you don't hear his voice, you continue to do the thing that you heard him say last. You don't stop. You just continue to do that thing. Oh, but pastor, I don't feel like I can hear his voice very much right now. Okay, good. That means that your assignment's easy. Still, whatever he told you last time. You don't have to wait for a new revelation. You just keep doing the last one that he told you. <laughs> That's simple. Just read the Bible. Just keep doing. You need a job? Keep working towards that job. You got a job? Do that job well. I need a revelation from the Lord. Are you doing your job well? Not really. Okay, there you go. There's your revelation. Do your job. I, I'm, I've just been struggling, struggling with my marriage. I need, a, I need to do something right now. I, need to, I just need a revelation from the Lord. What's happening in your marriage? We're struggling. Okay, work on that. Here we go. Talk about it. Go get some help. That's the direction you need to go into. You're not going to be elevated to some crazy position doing tons of crusades and doing all kinds of televangelism if you're not dealing with the stuff that you need to right now. You feel like you're called to greater? Be faithful in what you have right now. And this is something that we can do with one another. If If you're being challenged by someone in the body, think of that as a blessing and not as something that is accursed or that you're being accused or or pushed against or anything like that count that a blessing that you can work on something now so that in the future you will not be dealing with that same garbage that you were at that point you can actually walk in freedom freedom means freedom from bondage you have to get freed from bondage before you can progress in helping other people out of bondage otherwise you're just going to be the guy who's sitting in jail talking to other dudes in jail telling them what they should and should not be doing that doesn't work (laughs) doesn't work very well We need to be able to encourage and uplift one another. And this is something that we could be thankful for. This is something that we need to work on in a process of our, of our community is that we need to continue to be, um, to be faithful in challenging one another and building one another up in the midst of that challenging and then work towards progressing. We cannot just stand stagnant doing the same thing that we've been doing, expecting different results. We have to progress forward We have to follow in holiness. We need to walk in righteousness. And if we don't feel like we have a revelation from the Lord about what's been going on in our life, follow the previous one that you've had. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. But we need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If we're not doing that, then we're just seeking things. 
and then you seek things, things are great, but how many guys have walked through and seen different houses where they have a bunch of really expensive stuff, but their house is in disarray? Their house is falling apart, but they have the newest Porsche. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Your foundation of your house, the place where your people are living in, is crumbling. And you're spending tons and tons of money a month on something that is depreciating as time goes on. We need to stop focusing on things that depreciate and start focusing on the kingdom and his righteousness, which will continue and continue and continue and only build equity. So let's stand. I went through a whole chapter today. I hope you guys are proud of me. <laughs> so, so in the nature of thankfulness, I hope that, that we, can, we can take every time that we read through Scripture, it brings us to a place of thankfulness. It would be easy for me to just go and, and every time there's a, there's a, s- a holiday season, I do a little sermon about that holiday season. But really, if we're, if we're truly walking through Scripture and we come with, with thankfulness in our heart, then we will always have thankfulness whenever we approach Scripture and see what God is doing inside of you. Even if it's uncomfortable, I can still be thankful that in that discomfort, there's going to be something good that comes out of that. That the pearl will be made out of that friction that comes. And so we need to walk in this, in this place in a state of thankfulness. We need to be able to have, have his, the goodness of God on our lips. So that when we talk about people, when we talk, uh, when we pray about people, um, when we're discussing things, when we're walking through our life, we can come with a nature of thanksgiving and talking of God's goodness. Otherwise, when we constantly complain, that's going to be the thing that ends up being a fruit in our life is complaints. To where you are not only complaining about, about someone who's close to you, now you're complaining about everything that's going on in your life. Everyone who maybe doesn't even touch your life at all. Now you're on TikTok complaining about how long some of these videos are and wishing that they were shorter. <laughs> I don't have anything to watch on TV now. I'm just all I'm complaining about in my life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. So Lord, help us seek your kingdom. Seek your righteousness. Lord, in the times that we're struggling, help put people in our lives who can, who can see the error in our lives and be able to call us into your righteousness. One who can encourage us and uplift us, not put us down, shame us, and guilt us into doing the right thing. But Lord, help us be people who will be correctable, who can bring correction, who will be able to stand up firm and strong and, and be able to, to help one another, knowing that because I love the, this individual, I want them to do better. And because I want them to do better, I can sit in a little bit of discomfort and bring up things that I see that are going on in their lives. And Lord, help us be able to, to draw other people into your, into your body. Let, let us help, help be a, a, a good evangelist of, of good works for you, Lord, to where the fruit of a relationship with you is evident in our lives, to where people can taste and see that you are good. Let us be quick to encourage and slow to complain. Let us not look at, new, at the news or at social media and have negativity consistently on our mind, but let us be able to walk through the days with intentionality in our, in our mouth, with love in our eyes, and with grace in our actions. We are thankful this morning for everything that you have done in us. Each and every one of us has a testimony like Dad was saying today. Each and every one of us have a testimony of, of you working in our lives, of things that we should not have come out of in the way that it, that it did. 
Some of us should not even be here right now because of the activities that we were involved with, but you had grace in our lives. Some of us are dealing with things currently that need to be, that need to be uh, uh, concentrated on and seeing your grace work in the midst of that. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling, who are dealing with addiction, who are dealing with, uh, with, with addiction behind, the door, behind closed doors, those who are dealing with, with hurt, maybe heartache, those who are dealing with, with struggle and with all kinds of other things. Lord, I pray that you just work on their hearts, work on their minds, work on their souls, and work on those around them so that they can also be a help aid in their healing. Bless the food as we get ready to go and partake, and bless this time of fellowship. We love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... Amen. If you need prayer, feel free to come up. Otherwise, you guys can go out those double doors where Mr. Dave is and then go around to the fellowship hall and enjoy the food.